0: open up your Bibles now to Ephesians, the third chapter. Let's read in verse one. This is our third week. We'll be in it for this week and next week as well. We'll close out chapter three and begin chapter four in June. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, man, his perspective changes everything. And I just need you with me to promise this week when you get weak, tired, weird, or whiny, to adjust your perspective. Just spend a little time looking at the eternal things. Do it this week. Promise me. When you get messed up or messed with, when you find yourself struggling, an adjustment of your perspective an adjustment of your purpose. Paul says, I'm a prisoner, but not of Rome, not of Caesar Nero, not of my circumstances. I'm actually shacked with Jesus. I know what's going on. This is all going to work out to my benefit and to your good and to his glory. When you realize that, even just during worship, I had to repent a little. Anybody else repent during worship? Wow, saints. (laughs) I am humbled in your presence. me and all true, though. We don't know what we were <laughs> repenting over here. And I was repenting in the back because for some reason, I'm not even sure. I was trying to find out why. I was like, Lord, I was in a kind of a weird fog over the last week or 10 days. Just kind of wasn't really excited about much and kind of overwhelmed and kind of Eeyore. Anybody get the eor? you know? And I, I was just telling the Lord, what am I talking about? You're God. You do things. You've always done things. You're going to do things more. You got it all figured out, and I just had to repent because I'd gotten heavy in my spirit, heavy in my countenance, heavy in my perspective. And when you choose to just give your perspective eternity, just factor that in. Allow the Lord to speak over your real situation. (laughs) Paul wasn't just pretending he wasn't in jail. He was. Okay? Okay? (laughs) Paul was suffering, really. And so too, your situation may not be favorable, really. But your perspective as an eternal spirit, you have more than is going to meet the eye here. This is not your life. This is just the beginning of eternity. And Paul says, hey, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Verse 2, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace which was given to me for you. Don't ever forget that we are in that dispensation of grace. God has allowed there to be dispensations, which are time periods. A series of networks and governments put over humanity, listen, in order to illustrate something. That there's no way that humanity can figure this thing out. Not through government, not through law, not through conscience. Those are the dispensations of the Bible. Not through innocence not through free will. The only way we can figure this whole thing out is through this dispensation, grace. It's the dispensation of God's riches at Christ's expense. You, given your own opportunity to run the world, will lead the world even as it's being run right now, which is not well. And God says, hey, this is a new age, a dispensation of grace. Paul was given this ministry to then meter out to the people around him. And so, too, you and I are now ministers of that same dispensation, that same period of time, that same resource. Verse 3, how that, by revelation, he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ." You guys are getting this. You've read my letters. You understand that I spent 13 years on the backside of the desert with Jesus in Damascus. You understand that on the road to kill Christians, Jesus blinded me and then spoke to me the gospel. And Ananias baptized me and I was raised out of the water and the scales. You know my story. You know that I went to kill Christians and instead Christ changed me, and now I represent and endorse that same dispensation of grace. You've heard about it, verse 4, by which when you read, no, let's go verse 5, let's keep reading, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and the prophets, here's the mystery, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. I just, again, need you to Remind yourself that this is a Jew speaking of God and his outlook on the Gentiles. In that culture, the Jews looked at the Gentiles as presto logs. All the Jews. They looked at themselves as God's chosen people, sons and daughters of Abraham, and they looked at the Gentiles. Ew. Grosso Gentiles. Eating weird stuff, doing weird things. And they were convinced, even at this time, that God had only ever always made Gentiles to stoke the very fires of hell. Read your history. That's what they, that's what they believed in. So here this Jew saying, Oh man, we were way off. This mystery, which was hidden in God for eternity, now revealed in Christ, that we are co heirs. We're not separate, we're together through Christ. Christ is the separation destroyer, in the bridge builder. And now through him, we are all reconciled to the father. This this mystery changes everything. So excited was Paul about this mystery that he would not let his light be put under a bushel, even if it got him in trouble. He would not let his message be minimized, even if it got him arrested, even if it got him stoned and imprisoned. Well, verse 7, of which he says, This is where we'll begin today in verse 7. I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who in less than the least of all the saints this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I wonder if Paul, when he was writing this, was also just considering his own life. Not just boasting, bragging, or promoting himself to the Ephesians, but I wonder if he was writing and saying, oh, I can't believe this. <laughs> Look, I'm just as surprised as y'all, trust me, <laughs> that God would give me this grace and call me to be a minister of which now I, the least of the Christians, the least of the saints, <sighs> preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Amazed was Paul. I want this might help you this week. This week, if you consider what God has done in your life. Not in South Beach Church or in Pastor Luke or or in your great-grandma or your second-grandpa. What has he done in your life? What has he healed you of, delivered you from? Beyond any of that, what has he spoken to you that once was a mystery but now is crystal clear? That you were lost and now you're found. You were blind and now you see. You didn't have truth, now you walk in the truth. And when you understand that, when you grab that, when you are reminded of what God has done in your life, it will invigorate you to respond like Paul and to be a minister of the gospel of grace because of grace. If you're still doing this whole chart success failure thing all week long of yourself, chances are you're not a very good minister because you fail too much. Your chart when you say, oh, fail, 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 oh, I succeeded. I didn't run that stop sign. That's a success in my book if that's the way you serve is by your good days when they outnumber your bad days, you're not going to be serving. It's just not going to happen. But when you, like Paul, look at who you were, and now in Christ, because of Christ, only through Christ who you are, the the way you just think. You're looking and doing better too, but the way you think is right. The way you understand it's a gift from God. You then, because of what you now have inside of you, Are called to be a minister. You're allowed to be a minister. You're authorized to be a minister of the grace of God. As a matter of fact, look at how aggressive uh, Paul is here in verse 9. I hope to do the same. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church. Did you catch that? Paul says, I want everybody to know. I want everybody to see. And even God does too. God says, I want the whole world to know my goodness. How? By the manifold. Look at verse 9. Hidden in Christ Jesus. To the intent, verse 10. That now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church. Made known. Just trip out for a second. How, don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys want God to be famous? You want God to rule and reign. You want people just, to, I just want someone Just I want my neighbor to see God. You know what I'm saying? I just wish this, you have that coworker. Oh man, if they would just see God like I do. If they would just get it. And Paul here says, oh, 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 the mystery, the mystery. That, that Christ is in you Gentiles. He's actually in you to the intent that the message would be displayed through the church. God says, "I want to show myself to people. Can I just live through you, and they will see me in your life?" Now, at that point, you got to stop, and check yourself real quick, because <laughs> I want the whole world to see Jesus. You know, and I'll print a hoodie if that helps. <laughs> I'll get you some stickers to put on your car if that you know drives the cause. And the Lord would say, "That's that's fine. That's okay. But what I really want to do is show the world Jesus through your life." Through the way you react, through the ups and downs, through the pitfalls, through the ins and the, I just, I want to actually show the world myself through you. And if you're here today and you just simply want the Lord to be glorified and you want more people to be saved, that's a good want. How that happens though may be where it's truncated in your lifestyle, where you want the church to grow and to glow and to give and to serve. And the Lord would say, that's what I'm doing in you, just you. And the Lord would change you just like he changed Paul. And all of a sudden, little lights shining up all around the hill, letting their light so shine before men that they would see their good deeds and that people would glorify their Father in heaven, like Jesus commanded us in Matthew chapter 5. He keeps going. According to the eternal purpose, verse 11 now, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, Oh, guys, therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulation for you, which is your glory. He goes into prayer then, verse 14. We'll study that prayer next week. You should read it this week. But let's pray now and ask God to bless this time in Jesus' name. Father, we pray that you would bless your word as it's gone forth. These are your saints. These are your apostles. These, Lord, are your believers. These are the sinners. Paul would use all those words to describe himself, and so too we present ourselves to you now, and we ask, God, that our perspective would be heavenly and eternal, not earthly and temporal, and that we would rise above internally what's happening externally, and that we would be those, like Paul, even though our situation is not perfect or desired, we would sail through it and give you the glory in it. Lord, I pray for an anointing to do so. May it not just be people here today picking themselves up by their bootstraps, But may people today, listening online, joining us at all three services, may people today truly come under the spout where the blessings come out, the anointing of God, the power from on high. We can't do it ourselves. We've tried. We've been there, done that, failed. So, Lord, bless this time. May your word produce fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I'll tell you what, Jesus is real, and uh, he's on the move, and he's here now. Right now, this is real time. We are so fortunate to have real time to process and to glean from Paul and to look to Jesus in our lives. Uh, But let me ask you guys a question. How many of you guys have figured out that life is just one big journey? You figured this out yet? Here's the difference. Most people think that life is a destination. And as soon as I get this, and you just fill in the this blank, you've been filling in the this blank forever, And you have accomplished and achieved and received the this blank dozens and hundreds and thousands of times, only to be dissatisfied immediately. You need to realize today that life is not a destination. It's not even a product. It's a journey and a process. Every bit of it is a process. This is a paradigm. I'm serious. This is a paradigm shift in your whole purpose and life, because right now it's Summertime, coming up June, you guys got objectives and agendas and, and want-tos and get-tos and hope-tos and I do to-tos, okay? <laughs> We're excited. Oh, man, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this. That's good. That's okay. But listen to me. Life is a journey that will lead you to those destinations, those products, but won't ultimately produce in you anything substantial, at least not temporally, but it will always produce something substantial in you eternally, always. And and you and I are so soft-minded and fickle, and we get so excited over things. You need to just understand every season of our lives is just a part of the journey, a process. Now, the difference between those two P words, process and product, is huge because we're Americans. We are product-minded, okay? I don't want you to explain where something came from or how to make it or what the details are. I just want it now product. Give it to me. And we're trained to just get the product when God doesn't really care about the temporal product at all. God cares and is into and orchestrates a temporal process that will yield and will produce an t- eternal product. Now, again, if you're a, a spiritual person here today, this is good news because your situation temporally, might not be that good. And you may even temporarily that means temporarily, right in this, this thing called life, you may temporarily, right now say, I think I blew it. I don't think I did this right. I think I made a bad decision when I was younger, which then led to a series of unfortunate events, making more bad decisions. And now I find myself in my 20s or my 30s or 40s or middle age or my latter chapters. And I think I made a bunch of mistakes. I don't think this is how it's supposed to be. Now, if you're, this is the one shot you get, if this is it, this is the, the last hurrah, and when you go into the ground, you go into soul sleep, never to return again. If that's the case, then we're all in big trouble because we've all blown it. But if God says, oh, no, 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 the temporal product, no, don't worry about that. It's the temporal process, the temporary process of life, 80 years if you're lucky. The temporary process is going to produce in you through your journey ah, product that nothing can destroy, nothing can access, not rust, not moth, not thief, nothing. And that's where you're going if you're a Christian here today. Your process and your journey may be messy at times. As a matter of fact, let me just illustrate this through a general overview of the journey of life. How many guys love babies? Okay, the rest of you, I don't know what's wrong with you. Babies are awesome. We all love babies. Babies are great. We love kids, man. They're just, ah, oh, they're just so great. When a baby is born, they're a helpless, naked little noob. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this thing comes, this is the journey. and they're, Oh, a baby's so great. Really? And they come out naked and helpless. The first thing they do is poop and pee on themselves. Like, I think God is illustrating, hey, it only gets better from here. You know, we're moving up. And then it moves from babyhood to what we call toddlerhood. Okay, and toddlerhood is filled with a series of events known as like falling down the stairs and eating dog food, and you wear a little contraption that helps you alleviate your bodily fluids for about two or three years, and it's just a nightmare. But we love our kids, don't we? And then you move from toddlerhood into adolescence, and you have these 12- horrible years of school. Does anybody remember that? Where you're like a third grader, like only a couple more years? You're like, yeah. And then they tell you after you graduate, you don't have to go to college. I remember my, my parents said, you can go to college. It's not, it's not required to go to college. You should go to college. But you don't have to. I was like, don't have to? Not going to. Duh, duh. You know, I'm not, I'm not an idiot here. I'm not, more school, optional school. Are you dumb? Anyways, and you go through this and then you graduate and all of a sudden you're done with all these responsibilities known as school. thrown to the lions, known as responsibilities of adulthood. And then you begin to have to have responsibilities and calendars and appointments and bills and responsibilities and relationships. How many guys had a hard time adjusting to adulting? Okay. Oh, you guys are professional liars. Good, good, good. Uh, Adulting, man. We got to grow up. And listen, I'm just trying to, once you become an adult, you're looking for the next journey. Did you know every phase of life, Once you become an adult, a young single adult, all of a sudden you do a few things right, and maybe possibly you find yourself getting married then and taking care of a spouse and living in that way, and then you get to then have another journey taking care of one of those naked noobs that come out, you know, and now you're taking care of one of these little things that poop and pee all over themselves, and the, the cycle keeps going. Here's the problem, though. Most of you right now are just waiting till you get there. There has a frame around it, whether it's retirement, whether it's wealth and riches, whether it's the, the, the dad bod you're looking for, you know, whatever, I'm just looking for, the, you know, whatever it is, you got it there. Once I get that week's vacation, oh man, I can finally be happy. My, my life will finally have worth. Listen, there is no there. We are in a process and a journey that is producing a product that is eternal, if you believe that, and even today, maybe you just choose to think about it. Wow. Oh, okay, I'll consider that. I'll consider that truth, Luke. I'll, I'll put that in my, my thinker. I'll cook that down a little bit. Or maybe today you say, yep, man, I, I don't think that way, but I do know that's the truth. And you choose to then incorporate that in your filter, how you look at life. And then when things don't go your way, when you find yourself incarcerated or you're acting like a noob. I don't even know what a noob is, by the way. I should probably look it up. When you find yourself n- not succeeding in the journey or the journey not succeeding in your thoughts, what you anticipated, and you find all of a sudden you can look beyond the process knowing that it's producing a product that is eternal. Now, if you knew that your present process wasn't about your present product, it truly would change everything. I mean, just in a, in a moment, in a moment, and all of a sudden, whether the line in front of you is longer than you wanted, or your car breaks down, or you get ill again, you could just smile and say, you know what, I'm so glad it's not about now. I am guaranteed out of this world, and I am guaranteed glory in the next one, and I am guaranteed through Christ. And by the way, those who are in Christ, this is true for those who are not in Christ, those who are not believers, those who are still doing it their own way, on their own terms. You too are producing a product that is eternal, only it is eternal separation from God. Your your life will continue in eternity as well if you're not a believer but it will be one of torment, one of hell, and one of separation from God. But if you're a Christian here, this is the worst it's ever going to get for you. No matter how bad, it's only ever always going to get better for you as you navigate through life trusting in God. Paul was in this process, and this process included being locked up behind bars, shipwrecked, tortured. His whole life was a process. And listen, your situation you're in right now isn't even about your situation. Do Do you realize that? The situation you're in, in God's authorship, we read that, God the author and finisher of our faith, your situation is not even about your situation. God just pre-ordered that in order that he would be able to produce in you eternal dividends. It's actually about your growth. Isn't that awesome? Anybody here want to grow? I actually think I might be growing. I've just been thinking about that lately. Like, I'm 38, and I think some of the stuff's starting to, like, become mine. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm starting to own. Like, I'm actually, it's actually, it's happening. Do you realize that? In Christ, you are growing. You're growing. Oh, but my situation. Luke, I'm not where I should be. My, 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 my marriage fell apart. My, my social circle, I've hurt everyone in my, I've, I've, I've done it wrong. I've lost all my money. I've lost my help. How could I? You're growing right now. The riches of Christ are growing through your situation. God's not worried about your situation. God is worried about situations. Oh, oh oh, what's happening? He would look at Paul, his guy. He recruited him off his horse. The main minister of the gospel to the Gentiles. That's a, kind of a big deal. You can't call him sick on that one. Okay? We all need to hear this. He goes to jail. Gets his head cut off him. God's like, yeah, that's okay. It's not about this. It's not about that. God was growing in Paul the very truth of God. And in your situation right now, you might not like what you see. You might not enjoy what you're doing. But you need to believe that you're growing. Your situation's not about your situation. It's about your growth. Not just your growth, but it's about other people's good. I've been learning that for two weeks now. Other people. It's not just about you. We live in a village. And when you go through what you go through, it is so God can reveal his power to others through your story. God is powerful. He doesn't have to be more powerful. But he shows it to people through your situation. When you get saved, when you get sanctified, when you walk rightly, when you walk with joy, when you shouldn't have joy, God shows himself to others. Not only are you growing, but others' good is coming from your situation. Your situation is not about your situation. Not just is it good for you growing you and good for others, encouraging them, but it glorifies God. And I believe that's at the bottom line foundation of all of our hearts here today, isn't it? We just want God to be glorified somehow. Lord, would you glorify yourself in this nation again? Would you, would, and we have all kinds of prayers. Lord, would you change the government? Would you change the economy? And in Newport, would you just change the weather? You know, <laughs> so Just glorify yourself, you know? And the Lord says, your situation's what I'm gonna use. And right now, every one of you has a dozen or more excuses why your situation can't glorify God, why it's not growing you, at least not fast enough, and why you're no good to other people because of the failure rate, because of the mistakes, because of the, the inconsistencies. And God looks at you and says, what are you talking about? That's nothing to do with you. You're my poema, my project. Your situation's not perfect. Perfect. Let me use it. And Paul here was able to say, in my imperfection, God is able to use me as his minister of grace. Your situation is not about your situation. So right now, God has you in some sort of process, okay? And, and even the situations you're in might be downright offensive, right? I mean, just offensive. The things you've gone through, the things that have happened, the things you've done. Oh, ah, Lord, sorry. Ooh, I can't use that, can you? Oh, I did it again. it again. Oh, no. You might ask yourself, "Why am I dealing with this? Even this morning, why, 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 why am I dealing with this this illness or this cancer? Why am I dealing with?" Uh my struggles of sin, even after I've been saved, I've I got saved. I shouldn't struggle with this anymore. Why is my marriage so hard or so lonely at times? That doesn't make sense. I obviously can't be used by God, and He's not proud of me or happy. Or why do I always seem to have more month at the end of the money? Or why are why is my social circle so stressed? And all these excuses—you got them by the hundreds—and you're waiting. Until you get there. Once I get that vacation and rest a little bit, and once I clear my calendar, and once I achieve this, and once I get that clean bill of health, and once I get married, or once I get kids, or once my kids get out of the house, or whatever, once I move from this town, or once I move in... Hey, you're on a process and a journey that's not about your situation ever. It is about God's perspective and eternity. That changes everything. It's paradigm shift, perspective alignment. And you might always ask yourself, why is life often so hard. We learned last week, it's the already not yet tension. And uh, Paul says in that, he's going to minister to everyone else. Look at verse seven. He says, of which this grace and mercy, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul was committed at the beginning of his ministry to helping others no matter what he went through. So when his situation in life didn't go well, he was already committed to helping others and being a minister of others. When you... Choose to live your life for the good of others, the glory of God, and for your own growth. It doesn't matter what happens to you. You've already made the right decision in life. And instead of looking in, you look out when things get difficult. And So what you're going through is not just about you. It's for others' good and for God's glory and for your own growth. And I'll tell you what. Some people here this morning are just waiting to get better before you start to help others. Did you know that your pain, your mishaps, your mistake is your passport to helping others? Okay, in our world, think, well, well, I got to just hide this, get a lawyer and scrub that and get the internet to forget this, and then I'll move forward. Your mistakes are your credibility in moving forward. Your knowledge of that circle, whether it's depression or whether it's things that you've done that you're not proud of or things that have been done to you that you're embarrassed about. And you're waiting right now. I I, I, to, I just can't move forward. I can't. It's your passport. Your absolute freedom is in what God has allowed you to walk through. And so, just here are a couple of simple questions: What have you been through? Just your life. Did you know your story is amazing? You realize that, right? The parents you were born to, the way you were raised—so unique, so diverse, so just. If I had the time to sit with each one of you and just hear your story. Tell me how you were born. Tell me about your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters. What town did you grow up in? What was it like? Did you play baseball when you were a kid, kickball? Did you stay out late? Did you get bit by mosquitoes? And what are your childhood, you know, those are my, my childhood memories, you know? All this stuff. I had a good, had a good time. What, you're unique. What have you been through? Here's another question. What are you going through? Like, what's tough for you right now? You're lonely. You're busy. You're strapped. You're going through bankruptcy. What, don't tell anybody, really? What if it's your process and your journey and it doesn't matter about temporal realities, but it's eternal fruit? And God says, I'm gonna actually let you get imprisoned. Paul here's in jail. What should I do in jail? Minister to others, maybe? Use my life? Walk forward? So many people are tempted to hit pause. Just wait, I'm just gonna wait until I get this figured out. You may never get it figured out. God may not want you to figure it out. He may say, bear the marks of my son in your body and go tell people about him. With your limp, Jacob, with, with, with the thing, the thorn in the flesh. Here's the next question, not just what have you been through, what are you going through, but how can you not waste it? It's, I'm serious. God doesn't arbitrarily let us go through junk. He says, no, this is, this, there's gonna be a connection point. There's gonna be somebody. There's gonna be growth for you, good for others, glory for God, don't waste it. You ever taken a class in college? And failed it. The difference between failing a class in college and in high school is in college you pay for the credits whether you fail or pass. (laughs) I figured that out the hard way. Failing a class in high school, no big deal. (laughs) College, it costs you either way. Listen, don't waste the education of pain. You're waiting. Well, I gotta get healed, I gotta get right, I gotta make sure everyone forgets it, I gotta change my name. I got to come up with some coping mechanisms, and I got to, I got to, I got to, I got to. What if God just says, hey, how about you just be all messed up? And then your qualifications, like in verse 8, to tell people about me is grace. How about that? How about I take you right where you're at, and I change you and use you in the process? How about that? Can we do that way? Because if God needed you and I to clean ourselves up, to present ourselves to him, You know what I'm saying? Well, I guess the last question would be not just how can you not waste it, but how can you use what you've been through to begin your ministry for Jesus? Last week, we just availed ourselves. Remember that? We just surrendered. Same thing. You just surrender. Hey, Lord, my situation might not go away. I might have this. This might be terminal. This might, this might just be who I am. Their fault or mine. Doesn't, that's not the point. This might be who I am. Lord, could this begin my ministry for Jesus? you're on the merry-go-round of doing nothing until you surrender to the Lord and say, use me even though I am a mess. And the reason we grow in our faith and mature through this isn't for our own benefit, but it's for others. And when you figure this out, your pain, your trial, your testing, and your hardship, it finally makes sense because God is desiring to do a work through you. The other option, and I say this lightly, because I don't know your story, but the other option is to become selfish, whiny, small, inward. This is the temptation, isn't it? Your, your pain is real. I'm not minimizing that. But what Satan wants you to do is to internalize it and to have a pity party and to get a committee that surrounds you and protects you from getting hurt again and to bring yourself over to the side and to play games and all this. It's a temptation. and Your pain is real. Your story is hard. I get it. Not any harder than Jesus' story, though. Not any harder than Paul's story. Not really. Not really. And in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 and 3, which we read at the beginning of worship, Paul says, look to Jesus, who endured the cross, despising the shame, lest you be discouraged and wearied in your own souls. Why would you be discouraged and wearied in your own souls? Because your life's a mess. Okay? Because you're a noob. That's why. What are you going to do about it? Look to Jesus. Got to. I got to. I get to. I get to. And when you look to Jesus, the things of the world grow strangely dim. When you live for your own kingdom, though, in your temporal dealings, man, I just got to set my kingdom up, got to get this right. And then your kingdom becomes threatened by a thing or two, opposition from the government opposition from your own dealings, opposition from whatever, if if it's your own kingdom that you're living for, (laughs) you're going to be so paralyzed. You're going to be so depressed. You're going to be so distracted. But if you live your life, male or female, Jew or Gentile, okay, married or single, you live your life, you run your business, you raise your kids, you mow your lawn, you run your race, man, you run it. And you run it with your eyes on the prize. And you go through if-ends and ups, and downs, and ors, or buts. You go through it all. But you're looking at eternity. Well, Paul says he made himself a minister, a minister of the people around him. And he had this qualification by grace. We read that in verse seven. Look at verse eight now. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul, again, I think in reflection is saying, I can't believe it's me, that I was the one given this grace, this mission, this ministry to be a minister, and he labels himself less than the least of all the saints. And I said this last week, but if you want to be used greatly, God will allow you to be hurt deeply. It's just the way it is. And Paul here, in addressing himself in his autobiography, if you would, had been humbled time and time again in order to be trusted with this great wealth dispensing the mystery of salvation through grace to the Gentiles. And if you want to be used greatly and become the servant of all... Well, you have to be willing to serve all. Did you know that to be great isn't a bad thing? Remember the disciples were walking with Jesus one day, and they were arguing who's going to be the greatest. Well, I'm going to be the greatest, and I'm going to be the greatest. You, you're not the greatest. I'm the, you can be greatest, number two. And they're arguing over it. And Jesus stops and says, hey, I hear everything you're saying. <laughs> you know? I, I, but he asks them, what are you guys arguing about? They're like, oh, just stuff, nothing big, you know. <laughs> Who's going to be on your right hand or left hand? Just stuff, 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 stuff. You know, just seating arrangements in heaven, Big, basically. You know. And Jesus said, oh, you want to be the greatest? Good. Here's how you do it. He could have easily, I would have expected this, you know, from God. You want to be the greatest? Man, Because you guys are so far off. Don't be the greatest. No, he said, be the greatest. To be the greatest, though, you've got to go the lowest. It's an inverted system. To be the greatest, you've got to become the servant of all, both in word, what you say. That's kind of easy. Okay, But also in what you do, that's where it becomes real. When you actually serve people. Jesus told them that, and it went in one ear and out the other. They're like, gotcha. you know. And even on the last supper, Jesus like, okay, we all got dirty feet. Any servants around? They're like, we'll go get some. He's like, okay, it was a trick question. <laughs> I'll show you. Let me show you. And he put on the servant's robe and washed their dirty feet and then instructed them. You see what I've done for you? Now do the same for others. Whoa trip out. Paul here, describing himself, says, I am a minister by grace of this God. I'm actually less than the least. This humility that Paul had incorporated into his life was grown into him. You know that, right? Five years earlier in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, right around 15, he said, I am the least of the apostles. I'm an apostle for sure. Like, fo show, sure, don't forget it. But I'm the last one. Like, I'm the last one for sure. Apostles. Five years later, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to use that term anymore, although it may be true. I'm going to call myself a saint, a Christian, but not just any Christian or saint. I'm going to call myself the lowest. As he grew closer to God, such a cool process, you believe less and less in yourself. You see him, oh, whoa, 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 and you get closer to God and less of yourself. And as John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, said, he must increase, I must decrease, and about a year after this, he would write to Timothy. And he wouldn't call himself the least of the apostles or the least of the Christians or the saints. He would write to Timothy and say, I, who am the chief, uh, president of sinners. Isn't that crazy? Paul, the minister of grace to the whole world, said, You know, at the end of the day, I'm actually the worst person in the world. Straight up. That's who I am in my process, in my journey. But the product God has Processing and producing through me eternally Is one that is going to give him great glory And If you want to be used greatly You have to be humbled deeply Paul said this in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 He said, let this mind be in you Which was also in Christ Jesus Who had the very nature of God The very framework of God And he didn't consider it robbery to be himself But instead he humbled himself if you want to be used greatly, okay, you got to go low. Humble yourself. Ask God to help you. Ask God to put others above you, to esteem them higher than you, and then God will give you the riches. It reminds me of Frodo Baggins. You guys remember Frodo Baggins? He goes to the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> kidding, kidding. He's in the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, anyways, Frodo Baggins, he had this task. Hey, you got to destroy this ring. Why me? Because of your humility and your impartial stance on people. You're you're the most humble of the creatures in this particular story. And here's what's going to happen, though. Not only do you have to destroy this ring, Frodo, but this ring will destroy you. You realize it was a sacrificial mission. That ring destroyed him. And so, too, God says, hey, would you co-op with me? Would you let your life become a sacrifice for others? Would you serve others in my kingdom, not your own small little kingdom? Would you serve others in my kingdom and sacrifice yourself and become less? Well, Paul is so excited about this. He's willing to do it. Why? Look at verse 8 in the middle. He says that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I think you should have that underlined and thought through. Did you know that the thing that you have in your hand, which is the Bible, the thing that you have in your heart, which is the riches of Christ, did you know it's unsearchable? It's <laughs> unsearchable. That you actually can't know it all. You can keep mining it out. You can keep going back to it and getting more. And it's inexhaustible. You ever been to Taco Bell, bottomless refills? Inexhaustible. As much as you can handle. And I would say it this way. There is more to Jesus, more to the Bible, more to God than you have already apprehended. And so the large portion of us here this morning need to repent. And say, oh, you mean there's more? You mean I don't know it all? You mean I should probably get up early and spend time with the unsearchable riches of Christ? Don't raise your hands. But how many of you don't read your Bible because somewhere in the back of your mind the thought goes through it, well, I've already read it. Now, I've got books, novels, fiction, truths, you know, whatever, stories that I've read once. I probably will never read them twice. I've actually got books on my shelf that I've read twice, even thrice okay? This book, though, I've read three, four, five, six, seven, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times, certain portions. So have you. And every time you've gone there, (laughs) rich, unsearchable, deeper than I thought. And I would just say, if you're a crusty Christian here, especially, that you need to repent of your dedication to Bible time, you're looking for, the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's not that hard to do. Just say, Lord, I just become lazy. i become distracted, whatever. Paul said, you know how I can humble myself and serve others? Because the riches are so unsearchable. There's more to Jesus than I've already apprehended. And every time I look for more, guess what I find? (laughs) More. And every time I look for deeper, guess how I go? Deeper. And every time, yes, it's always there. Don't believe the hype. Did you know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren and the father of all lies? And he lies to you day and night. When you get woke up early by the Lord, the the father of lies says, oh, that's not God waking you up to spend time with him and his unsearchable riches? Go back to bed. Finish that dream. It was a good one. (laughs) And the father of lies, that is Satan, will keep you from searching out Christ. Don't do it. Look at verse 9. And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of ages has now been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus. Paul says, I want everyone to see. And I hope that's your intention as well. That's why we do what we do at South Beach Church. I'm not even messing around. That's why we have three services on Sunday, four services on Easter or Christmas or Easter, and think two services on Christmas Eve. That's why we do baptisms in the ocean, baptisms here. That's why we do Hope in the Park and Family Camp and camps and send people out and do concerts and outreaches. That's why we spend money on sending mailers all through Lincoln County, inviting people to church. That's why we do what we do so everybody would have a chance to see the unsearchable riches of Christ. The mystery, the mystery, the fellowship of the mystery, that you would know that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Paul is. Tr- Paul loved God his whole life and then found out through Christ he could actually have God in his life. Do you know the difference? It is, it is substantial. There are religious people in this town that appreciate God and respect God, but I'm just going to say it, don't have God, Okay, just like in Paul's day. And there are moral people in this town. That don't have God. And Paul said, oh, the fellowship, the mystery, God's actually, <gasps> and he, everybody needs to know that God can be in you. Verse 10, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known on display by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. Verse 11 tells us this was God's eternal purpose, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Look at verse 12 and see kind of the practicalities here in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Again, Paul the Jew, writing to the Gentile world, says, guys, gals, gang, people, everyone, all, listen, don't look at my chains. I'm not. Look at the process that is producing a product that is eternal. What God is doing is for my growth, your good, God's glory. And it's in order that I would be able to display you too the glory, the purpose of God, the gift of God, Him in you, but also, listen please, you having access to Him by faith boldly. Did you know that you have access today because of Christ only? Not because of you. You think it's because of you, and on those good days, you actually go to Him when you feel good. On those bad days, you stay away far from Him because you feel bad. You're doing it wrong. It is because of Christ you have access to the Father. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the earth quaked, graves opened, the earth shook. The sun was darkened and the veil in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom, not bottom to top, top to bottom. It was a God thing. God was taking the separation that kept everyone out of the presence of God through Christ on the cross, the separation. Now all of us have access to God. Yesterday there was a wedding here, believe it or not. Hoopla everywhere, craziness. And at the end of the wedding, I was sitting over there and we were all going through the dances, the father-daughter dance, and all the dances were happening. And everyone was anticipating the cupcakes and cake, right? You've been there before? Best part of the wedding. Anyways. And I'm sitting there waiting as well, and this little boy came up to me. I'd never seen him before. Steely-eyed boy. I don't think he smiled once. Came up to me and looked right at me. He said, I want a cupcake. And I was, I'd never seen it. I was like, yeah, me too. And he just looked at me. Can you get me a cupcake? And I'm sitting right by the cupcakes. And he evidently had seen me on stage, thought I must be in charge of something, had the microphone on. And I said, well, it's not the time for the cupcakes yet. Can you get me a cupcake? (laughs) Just, yeah, I will get you a cupcake when it's time. Okay, just keep watching. When everyone everyone else is getting cupcakes, that's 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 your your ticket, look for that. And, And about 15 minutes went by of dances. I'm not kidding. And he kept following me in and out and going around and on my... Kept coming and climbing into my lap and pulling on my suit, and and I and finally before the cupcakes were even being handed out, it was right about that time that no one had grabbed one yet. I was the first one there, and I grabbed a plate of cupcakes, and I brought these cupcakes back to the table and I gave him a cupcake. Here's your cupcake, you know. And I got one too, and I shoved the whole thing in my mouth. Here's the point. He knew how to access the cupcakes. He, he knew who where to go. Paul says we have access to the Father. And I would just simply ask you, do you even go there? Do you you go to the Father? The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Don't waste that. The pain that Paul went through, the pain that Jesus went through was so you would have access to the Father. Look at verse 12 again. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Paul does not want you to miss this. Paul does not want you to sit at the wedding without cupcakes. You're at the wedding. Get cupcakes. Go to him. Did you know that not only do you have access to him, and most of you are like, okay, okay, okay. I'll do it. I'll go in there. I'll see him. I'll go ask him for cupcakes. Listen, that's kind of one side of the coin. Did you know the other side of the coin is that Jesus died on the cross, veil split in two, access made available, not just so you can go in, but listen, whether you believe me or not, I'll say it, but because God wants you in. Not 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 just when you need stuff, which is legit. Like you walk in all scared. He says, no, walk in confident. You walk in like you're unwanted. No, no, bold. Did you know, though, that the Father says, dude, enough of this. I want my kids. I want them here. I want them all with me. Jesus, go pay for the sins of the world. I want them in my presence. I want them. You need to believe that and swallow that today and meditate on that. Not just when you need them. That's obvious. But God, I'm going to say it, even though it's not theologically true. God needs you. You need him more than you know. But God did this because he wants you. You have free will. If you don't show up, he'll be just fine. Don't get me wrong when I say he needs you. But he wants you, likes you, appreciates you. And I guarantee you, most of you, spend your whole day just trying to do good, trying not to mess up, trying to make Papa happy from a distance. I'm not going to bother bothering him with my stuff. I'm just going to try and do good over here. What? He loves you. When my little daughter, she's four, she turns five on Tuesday. When she wakes up, she comes down the stairs, just a hot mess, hair, hair everywhere, just a little mess of a thing. She sits on the couch, big smile, says, Daddy, come sit on the couch next to me. I don't care what I'm doing. I'm not doing that anymore. I go sit down next to her. She, gets, she wants me to sit with her. So too the Lord wants you in his presence there's so much legalism and weight on our lives and what we do. I got to make God happy. Got to get him off my back. Gotta, the Gestapo's watching. <laughs> Wrong. Look at verse 12. Actually, look at verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Paul, summarizing this thought, then moving into prayer, verse 14 says, I'm in jail with Jesus. It's for your good. It's for my growth. It's for his glory. Guys, this this is so good why I'm here. Why are you in jail, Paul? Why are you in jail, Paul? Why'd your marriage fall apart? Why'd you get cancer? Why'd you lose this? Why is this happening? We ask, why, why, why is this happening? Paul says, oh, don't lose heart. The gospel's going out. This is allowing me a platform to shine. This is allowing me a sensitive mind to give back to the Lord because I was clouded. This is allowing God's voice to be louder than my own voice or than the world's voice. This is allowing God to show the manifold wisdom and his message through the church. This is allowing in me growth that would not happen without a little bit of pain. Amen. Wow. This is allowing comfort and consolation to people around you that are hurting. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you know it. Well, Paul says, the comfort you get in your stuff was given to you so you could comfort other people in their stuff that's it. It keeps going. It's legit. And Paul says, therefore, don't lose heart. And if you've lost heart this morning, okay, you can get it back immediately. A perspective change. Oh, oh, oh. it's not about here. Oh, thank God. Because it's messed up. Oh, it's not about my life and how perfect I lived it. Mm -mm, Not at all. Not at all. It is about the life you will live forever with him in grace in mercy and forgiveness and purpose. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, we need help believing your truth, your declaration, your word. And God, we do believe it. We look at Paul's life. We look at his relationship with you. We look at your life. And we all together this morning, Lord, at this service, give ourselves to you and say, if God be before us, then who can be against us? And what Satan meant for evil, we know that God can redeem and turn into good. And Lord, I thank you that we get to co-op with you and be those messengers and ministers. And Lord, I pray for my friends, the family, the brothers and sisters here this morning. I know for a fact there is pain sitting amongst us. Pain, mistakes, tragedies, miseries, and regrets. And there are people here who are in prison. They're stuck. Ah, I'm just a loser. I'm just a failure. I don't know much. I started this whole Christian thing late. I'm just, I'm just a noob. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to the guys and the gals here like you did Paul. And you encouraged him in jail. You said, hey, Paul, you did great. You're, You're doing awesome. Everything is happening perfectly. This is my will, not yours. The angels are watching. Everyone's watching. It's it's legit. Just trust me. Keep your eyes on me. And when you get locked up in this world, when you get bogged down about things, don't look at those things, but look to me. And if you're here this morning and you just need to give your life to Jesus, set your eyes on the prize, the author and finisher of your faith, would you just, would you just raise your hand right now to the Lord and say, Lord, I just give my life to you. I've been doing it my way. My perspective has been on earth. I want it to be on heaven. Lord, my life is tough and it's a mess and it's not that impressive. But Lord, I raise my hand today because I don't want to live temporally. I want to live eternally. I don't want it to be about now. I want it to, Lord, work for good. Raise your hand right now. If you need help, you need God's assistance this morning. You need greater faith this morning. Raise your hand if you need greater faith. If you're you're tripping, you're struggling. Maybe you're on the ropes. You're not doing anything for Jesus right now because you're all messed up. And you haven't realized that your situation, pain and struggles, and your pain and your your pressure is your passport. Your credibility to speak into somebody else's situation. Would you raise your hand right now if you need that encouragement? Lord, strengthen your body. Equip them for the work of the ministry which is outside of these walls, which is in this crazy world. That all would see and come to the revelation and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That all would know what Paul knew. That all would know what South Beach Church knows. We would get it. People would get it. Use us, Lord. Use it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When you're ready to take communion, come down the center aisles. Stand with me, would you? Come down the center aisles and take your communion to the side aisles, back to your chairs. There's people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well.